episode 309. Because of the technology, you're going to see specialists in the area of the vehicle for, for systems. So you might see in the next five years a data network specialist because the, the network on the vehicle today is so complex that really what we, we are starting to, to call the vehicle is nothing but a huge complex data network with four wheels on it. Welcome, aftermarketers, to Remarkable Results Radio. Listen to learn just one thing from today's episode on your journey to remarkable results. Hey, a big hello to my friends and all automotive aftermarket professionals around the world to episode 309 of the Aftermarket's Premier Talk radio podcast. And our goal is to help shape your learning curve. Carm Capriato here, and in March 2018, I was honored to moderate a town hall panel at Vision High Tech Training and Expo titled, The Shop of the Future. Are you prepared? Have you thought about how you will do business in the future? Well, the mission of this panel was to stretch the boundaries and serve up plenty of thoughts, concepts, and changes coming that you'll need to be fundamentally prepared for. You are in for some special moments and some great think from this panel. Now, if you attended Vision, you'll so appreciate this recap. And if you did not, you'll get a slice of what you missed and what great value Vision provides for all attendees. Carm Capriato here, thanking Federal Mogul Motor Parts for their support of the Aftermarket's premier podcast. Search for parts and get the latest technical updates. Also, sign up for their Garage Rewards Loyalty Program at fmmotorparts.com. Hey, the network of listeners builds every week, and I'm honored to make so many connections like new Facebook friends, Anthony Powell, Luther K. Breffo, Patrick Knight, Phil Carpenter, and Gerardo Vasquez. And my latest LinkedIn connections, Nicole Barker, Jay Woodford, and Ross Colcat. Welcome, welcome, everyone. Find all connections, including the Insider Newsletter, at remarkableresults.biz slash social. So happy to be able to present this audio recording from Vision 2018. And with me, our shop owners, Summer Gorado from Affinity Automotive Services in Wichita, Kansas. Keith Williamson, owner of Williamson's Repair and Tire in Bontarot, Iowa. Trainer and mobile technician Eric Ziegler from Easy Diagnostics. Chris Chesney, the senior director of customer training at CarQuest Technical Institute. And Donnie Seifer, the executive officer of NASDAF, the National Automotive Service Task Force, and co owner of Seifer Automotive in Wheat Ridge, Colorado. Hey, as with every podcast in the library, this one is packed with wisdom and profound thoughts that will help shape your future. There are many important action steps discussed that need your support and engagement. Please listen carefully for those cues. For extended bios on my guests and the Cliff Note talking points, along with links to my guests' previous podcasts, go to remarkableresults.biz slash E309. Are you prepared for the future? Well, get started now. Donnie, I'm going to give you the first question. Why are work mix changes important consideration as we look to the future? Well, I think everybody can recognize that maintenance services are getting longer. The intervals are getting significantly longer. Some of the vehicles showing up in our bays now may never need brakes in their entire life uh, until they rust, right? Hybrids are, are going a long time on brakes. Um, transmission fluid services, all these things that have kind of been the mainstay of our business have got lo- longer intervals on them now. So if you're counting on those going forward, I think you've got four or five years before some of those get so long that that's not your mainstay. 
we have this drivability thing that's going to clearly get more complex. And as that goes on, we really need to focus on where our training is and then build our profit models more on what's really going to roll through the door than what we've been doing in the past. Thank you so much. Great. Keith, when the self-driving car pulls into your shop someday in the future, will you know what to do? Well, Carm, I, I think that all the shops that are here this weekend, um, I think they will be able to, to handle this. I think they're going to do a good job of staying up with technology. The most important thing is make sure you're taking the training. You know, if you're here and you're taking training, you're going to be ready. I see a lot of shops from the Des Moines area, Kansas City area that aren't here, and that, and that, you know, that's sad. That's really sad. So I think technology is, is going to change the way we do things. You know, the, the self-driving car, the electric car, um, hybrid cars, they're here to stay. You know, they're, we're not going to get rid of this technology. So Ford has announced that, that they're going autonomous in 2021. GM is going autonomous in 2019. They decided to up it a little bit. And we're not going to get rid of that. So we might as well accept it and take the training we're going to need for it. And, uh, and there's going to be some other changes that are going to, going to come along because of that. So thank you. Keith just said, uh, it's a shame that there's some shop owners not here that live within what? Yeah. I mean, I guess if you draw a circle around Kansas City, 50 miles. Uh, we wouldn't have enough room for breakfast, right? So what's the challenge? Can we go out and adopt a shop? The guy down the road isn't your competition. Listen to the podcast. We talk about it all the time. We need to lift the people that are with us. Pick up the phone, say, hey, let's have coffee and get someone engaged in the industry and in training because the person down the road that doesn't have the level of education is going to constantly be beating a pathway to the bottom. You guys know that. That's why you're here. You're here to be the best that you can be, and I think we need to reach out and help others. Chris Chesney. Chris, do you see shops becoming more specialists or excelling in certain disciplines? I think that's going to be a byproduct of of the technology. Uh, At the end of the day, as Donnie alluded to, that we've got to change our business model and the services that we offer to fit what's going to come in the door, not what we've always done. Uh, the the drawback in this industry is, or the, the biggest uh, barrier in this industry today is going to be, well, that's the way we've always done it. You've got to break that mold. Don't think that way. You've got to think at, not outside the box. You've got to throw the box away, fold it up, throw it in the recycling bin, and start thinking totally fresh. Get a white sheet of paper and build a new model. Uh, so when it comes to what we term as positions in the industry or as, as technicians or specialists. Today you see a lot of specialization in, in different makes. So you have a Toyota specialist or a Euro specialist or a, even a BMW specialist, something like that. I, I think you're going to see in the near future, because of the technology, you're going to see specialists in the area of the vehicle for, for systems. So you might see in the next five years a data network specialist because the, the network on the vehicle today is so complex that really what we, we are starting to, to call the vehicle is nothing but a huge complex data network with four wheels on it. And if you think of it that way, your, your team needs to be able to address that technology. Uh, and so when you start talking about building a career path or, or education for your team, 
And as Donnie also alluded to, you need to, you need to train to what you're going to be servicing. You need to start talking about or thinking about narrowing that focus for your, for your technicians so that they can be specialists in some of those areas. It's not something that you flip a switch on, but you start to migrate towards, uh, your advanced drivability tech, maybe becoming that data network specialist. And then you bring up uh, a B-level tech to take the place of of doing some of the OBD things that, that maybe aren't as complex, and they can grow into the data network specialist at a later date. Thanks, Chris. We've only had three questions, three great answers. Here's what I suggest. Please listen to this stuff. Write it down. Put it in your three-year, five-year strategic plan, and don't miss an article, uh, a networking experience, and keep developing these great ideas that are coming off of this to help build your business for the future. Summer, how do you see the shop communicating with their customers in the future? Ten years ago, we just called them on the phone. We waited for them to give us a call back, and it could take two, three hours for them to give us a call back. Then we'd try and rush that, repair, get it done for them in the same day. Um, I would probably bet that at least 99% of you all text, and we've noticed an increase with being able to text to our customers a faster response of getting approvals, getting repairs completed. Um, customers are impressed. They, they do love that. Uh, they like communicate that way. You can let them know their car is ready to go. They don't have to worry about getting that phone call while they're at work, if they can check their phones. Um, you would be really surprised, though, if you did ask your customers how they want to be communicated, because I can tell you that a lot of our customers do like to be uh, emailed because they can't have their phones at work. We have a policy that our our uh, team can't have their cell phones on at work. So um, if there is an email available, then they can check that. Sometimes that gets a fast response too. Excellent. Thank you very much. Eric Ziegler, what type of training, Eric, will techs need to have? Leader-led versus online or other? First off, I'd like to um, thank Sherry and everybody for all their work to make Vision the um, success that it is. Forgive me, I've done 20 hours of training (laughs) instruction in the last 72 hours, so I'm a little froggy. Um, I'd like to thank Carm for his opportunity for um, being able to be on this panel. It's quite an honor to be in front of all of you, and like to thank Chris and congratulate him on the President's Award. Um, To the question of what kind of training I see, at least on the handlers of mine that that do some of the uh, training scheduling, um, there has been a trend here in the last two years trying to get seat bottoms in in the bottoms of seats, present company excluded. This is lightning in a bottle. Um, We had 500 first-time attendees here, and I think this is due to the organization of this great event that happens. Starts tomorrow. You all go back home, go to work. Maybe there'll be a day off, maybe for Sherry's crew, I doubt it. But they start Monday morning on making this great event even better next year. So this is not indicative of what the instructor-led training, I think Chris may um, have some more insight on this as well, that it's hard to get butts and seats, as they say. The younger generation, um, I think, not um, being a generationalist, likes to see things online, likes to do YouTube videos, things of that. Me being, a, I, full, full disclosure, I have a bias. I'm an instructor that 
leads instructor-based training, I think you don't get the advantage of having the passion, the delivery. You can't really ask questions online unless it's moderated. And the other thing that you lack when you do online training, I think that leaves things a little cold, is that you don't have the ability that many of you hopefully gained in your vision experience to reach out to your fellow attendee network, meet another industry professional that will help lift your career up. So I, not to evade the question, but I think it's a little bit of a balance of both. Uh, I really hope events like this and other events keep, keep going and growing strong. But at a regional, like local level, um, if you do not have pizza and chicken wings and a free meal, in my area at least, those, um, training sessions end up often unattended. And the sad part about it is sometimes the people that attend are there for the chicken wings and the pizza. So um, Jim Lender said it best so many years ago, the people that need training are the people that are not here. So I think there's going to be a huge, due to the paradigm shift in technology, I'm a mobile service provider. Um, that's what I do. I think you're going to need specialization. It's going to be very important moving forward because... Nobody can be an oracle of all this knowledge. It is coming at such an onslaught that you're not going to be able, the average repair shop that's been able to do brakes and transmissions and networks and drivability and everything else across all makes and all models is just going to be inundated with it. But training is going to be a key component. And I really think that, I mean, if you really want to know people that see kind of the seedy underbelly of the automotive world, Talk to a mobile service provider. Unfortunately, we go places that guys can't find in the high-end shops I'm talking about. They can't find blown fuses that have missing fuses that have misdiagnosed thousands of dollars worth of parts put on cars. Present company excluded. You guys are here and you're getting to the next level of training. But there's a big awakening coming in our industry. And I think it's going to be like Darwin kind of survival of the fittest, the people who adapt, the people who strive to be the best that they can be, to raise their level, their game to the top, and specialize in things are going to be people that are going to come out ahead. Thank you, Eric. Another very important point. Remember I talked about calling the shop down the road, let's have coffee, let's talk about this. Please go out and repeat the things that you're hearing today for the next two to three weeks. Please share some of these great wise words that are happening here. Great stuff. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, team. By the way, Eric, Chris, and Donnie are all are, have been on the podcast before. Very easy. If you go to the website, just type in their names, and their episodes will come up, and I thank them. And uh, now, Keith and Summer will be included. You've always counted on Moog to keep you ahead of the pack when it comes to chassis innovation. Well, they've done it again. Most recently launched is the Moog Ball Joint with a pre-installed integral dust boot. It's designed exclusively for compression-loaded suspension systems, providing superior strength and durability for these types of vehicle applications. The dust boot is made from higher-strength materials and comes pre-installed, saving you time because it's easier to install. It also has a larger contact area against the stud, which makes a more effective seal. For your customers, the unit uses Moog's powdered metal gusher bearing that provides longer life and controlled radial and axial movement. You get the industry's leading coverage of 10,000 SKUs, including 4,600 for foreign applications. Hey, you've been installing Moog confidently for years, and now you know why. Brake jobs are a staple component of all successful shops, and getting the brake job right helps build a quality reputation for any shop. 
When the best is called for and stopping distance, rotor wear, and pad life are important to every shop and its customers, Wagner OEX brake pads are your only choice. Based on benchmark testing conducted by Link Engineering Company, Wagner OEX pads can stop a pickup, SUV, or CUV up to 50 feet sooner. Based on internal testing comparing new Wagner OEX to other Wagner offerings, the unique design of Wagner OEX increases pad life up to two times longer. The customized shape and slot design of each of the more than 114 SKUs creates a turbulent airflow that allows for cooler operation and improved stopping power for the vehicle on which it was designed. Wagner OEX cover 95% of the U.S. market of pickups, SUVs, and CUVs. Wagner has the science behind stopping perfected. They conduct 13,000 critical tests each year and, as of today, have 258 issued patents with 68 patents pending. Wagner has earned their stripes. Now they want to earn yours. Install Wagner OEX, the customized brake pad that can stop your customer's truck up to 50 feet sooner. Donnie, are we doing enough to develop our people who will probably leave us? I knew that would be sort of a question that would raise some eyebrows. Uh, If you really look at how this next generation of technicians is coming into our business, they're not like this old guys up here where we got into the industry, and I wasn't talking about you, Eric, not at all you, um, that we anticipated a complete career. And we're going to stay at one shop for, I have one technician that, that is his goal is to retire out of my shop, God bless him. Um, But that's not the way this generation's thinking. They don't stay in jobs very long. So we are going to have to have much more rapid, much more effective. We can't shotgun develop with training. The training has to be organized in such a way that if you're an entry-level tech, you're coming in and you can be expected to perform these tasks perfectly. And when you're ready to move up to the next level, we've got that training organized, and there's a way to demonstrate that you can do that. Because we may not have them very long. And we're also going to have to say, if I'm not doing this right, they're going to stay with me. If I'm doing it right, they're going to move on. They're going to become shop owners. They're going to become trainers and all of that other stuff. And that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing about being a shop owner. And I'm a big advocate of... The future, we talk about the lack of text, the lack of really good training, and, and it hit me just the other day in the studio while we were just chatting with a bunch of people, and I said, well, there's going to be a lack of our future entrepreneurs that are going to take over for all of us boomers that are out there. And if the succession plans, you know, some people are going to close and go out of business, some are going to attempt a succession plan, but we need to encourage and help our future shop owners and... Uh, Just because you're the best tech in the world, and we know this, we've heard this over and over again, you are not going to be the best businessman, and that's going to be one of your biggest learning curves of training. But vision is all about that, and uh, I know there's all kinds of mentors willing to help that. Donnie, thanks. That's a great and insightful. Keith, how will changing business models have an impact on the shop of the future? Well, Carm, I I think Donnie hit on a few points there, you know, a lot of the maintenance schedules are getting pushed back. Um, however, that's creating opportunities as well. You know, we've all seen the, the GM 36s with, you know, oil consumption issues. And, and I'm not just picking on GM because everybody has issues of some point, you know. I really believe that 
we're going to have to stay profitable in whatever we do. And that's going to be, you know, that's going to be number one. We have to be profitable in order to afford to send our techs to training, to, to send our advisors to training, to, to run a profitable shop so that there is a future for the next generation. I really think the business model is going to change as far as we're going to be more IT people. You know, um, we're going to have to hire the top talent. You know, we're not going to be able to take that that guy that just gets by anymore, and we're go- we're going to have to raise them up to the next level. Keith, hire or grow top talent? I I think grow, grow. I think we're going to have to grow. And uh, is Vision a perfect place for that? I I definitely believe so. This is the best training event in the country, as far as I'm concerned. There's a commercial. <laughs> Thank you so much, Keith. Appreciate it. Good insights. Chris, will we see extended service bay hours to accommodate TAS? You know what T-A-A-S is? It's another acronym we need to understand. Transportation as a service, Uber, Lyft, and the like. So will we need to accommodate better hours uh, for the providers of autonomous fleets? That's my planted question for you because you didn't quite get it right, but I'm going to address it anyway. Uh, <laughs> Ooh, snap. <laughs> yeah, okay. I got All it. Right. I'm human. Uh, exactly. Uh, extended service or extending your service base is something that I've been uh, thinking about a lot over the last couple of years and, and speaking to. And yes, you're going to have to have extended hours, and yes, you're going to have to have night shifts and things of that nature. When... Autonomous vehicles are such that there's enough of them that you can keep your service bays open and the car drives itself to you and you get a service. I'm not talking about that. I'll be dead by then, so I'm not really too awfully worried about that. Uh, What I'm talking about is how do you extend your business to your customer to help them manage the service of their vehicle? So the example I give you is the duty cycle of today's automobile is very, very low. The amount of time you actually spend in your car is in the 5% range, uh, and the rest of the time it's sitting idle for 95% of the time. When you drive to work, that, that's an operation, right? When you park it at work, it's, it's out of operation. So for 95% of the time, that car's not doing anything. So what you need to think about is, communic- number one, understanding when that's happening. Number two is... Being able to reach out to your customer and let them know that you recognize that, oh, Summer's at work and she's due for an oil change, I'm going to post a notification to Summer and say, Summer, you're due for an oil change, can we come get your car? We know you're at work. And she has the ability on new technology vehicles to enable that car to be picked up. We go pick the car up, service the vehicle, park it back in the parking lot. She can find it in the parking lot with her app and pay over the, the system and is not inconvenienced whatsoever. And that's the way you need to start thinking about extending your service bays outside of your four walls and enabling you to manage your customer's time. Because God only gave us 24 hours a day and seven days a week. And we're supposed to be resting today, aren't we? So at the end of the day, you have no more time. We can't make any of this stuff up. And I I kind of alluded to that on Friday at lunch, that we're trying to pack the same amount of knowledge uh, or skill into a two-year program, education program for kids that we're trying to grow, uh, as we did in 1970 for working on a Mustang, uh, today working on a Tesla or an A8. 
And that's insane. So we've got to consider that for our customers as well. They don't have time. Consider your own life. Do you have time for all the things that you need to get done? But your car is sitting idle 95% of the time. Find that idle time for your customer and make it convenient for them to say, yes, service my vehicle when it's convenient for me. Great insight, Chris. Really good. Thank you. Summer, what impact will digital inspections have in the future? On digital inspections, I can personally give you what it's done for us. Um, We implemented digital inspections about two years ago. It did take about six months for it to kind of us to figure out all the flow of things. Um, But we do have a younger generation out back. Um, Our technicians are the younger generation, so they really do like having that tablet in their hands. We have a set inspection set up. We uh, take a lot of pictures, good and bad, for the customers, and then we send them to them so that they can view them before we actually call them for their repairs. And I can tell you that it did raise our average RO, which is average repair order. Uh, It raised it at least doubled to tripled the average RO in the amount of time that we've implemented that because we've earned the customer's trust. Now, most customers don't know what's under their vehicle or what it looks like under there and why we're recommending things are leaking, but they don't see a leak. And we are able to take that picture or take a video of the wheel about to fall off because they need tie rods super bad. To show them that this is actually something that is a safety issue, we are more apt to get that approval from the customer. We've built their trust, and they see that we are, you know, providing a professional service to them, and so they feel that we're giving them good value and good exchange for them coming to our shop. Excellent. Do you think that digital vehicle inspections are going to be as important for every shop as having a lift in a bay? I really do, um, because... We, for some odd reason, you know, from the past, we've been given that bad name and now we're trying to raise that, the industry standards and by providing these digital inspections, then, you know, we're, we're building that trust back and they're seeing that we are, you know, this is what a shop should do to be able to show us what is going on with our vehicle so that we can pay them to repair, the, you know. Thank you. The show of hands, who's doing DVI? It's almost a majority. It's, it's a little over 50%. So the top shops are here, aren't they? It goes to show you. Eric, how should shop owners start to grow their own ATEX? First part of that is you have to have the seed to grow something. And I think that's where it really needs to start at like a very local level. As far as um, was mentioned earlier, get involved with your local VOTEC program, your high school program, um, not to be chicken little and the sky is falling. In my area, every high school program has been shut down. Um, they had one high school they took that was at the bad end of town that they had the building that closed the high school. They migrated the students to somewhere else. They ended up having people from industry go in and volunteer free of charge to do things for um, auto body and for auto repair and they had some healthcare stuff for some of the other single moms and things like that and they ended up shutting that program down even due to budgetary concerns even when they had like four or five hundred attendees in it so I think as far as growing them you have to have the seed 
That, I think, is what is lacking in our industry, is there's this huge shift. Um, the average independent automotive technician is somewhere in their 50s and has over 30 years of experience. And I train all over the country, train thousands of technicians, and I'm here to tell you that to see a millennial or a majority of millennials in any of my classes is few and far between. Everybody there is between 45 and there's people as old as 80 that are still working on cars. So the whole thing is to be able to identify talent at an early, early age. I have a friend who is a phenomenal mobile technician that is actually from Germany and early on in his elementary school career, they recognized that and steered that through a, like a Mercedes co-op. And like by the time he was in high school, it wasn't so much in speech and art and all the liberal arts stuff. He was doing network communications and was working at an internship. So I think the disparity between not having entry-level technicians is a huge thing. I think we lose off. My local Votech will start my tech that works with me is a phenomenal technician. He's 28 years old, started in a local community college. Um, they started with 56 kids in the, and graduated six. We had a conversation last night. He and one other gentleman out of that 56 are the only two in the industry. So that is a very good question and a tough question. I'm moved by many of the things that you said. As I looked around Vision in the last four days, was it me or were there a lot of millennials here? There is a lot of young Raise your hand if, if you're a millennial. Say you're under 33 or 34. Awesome. <laughs> that, that goes a couple ways that, A, they recognize and attended that it's not like, hey, I can't go on YouTube and do this, that I need the experiential experience. That, B, that they are sponsored either by the Dave DeCourcy, who was a dear friend of mine, scholarship, the scholarships that are available, the generosity of shop owners that are not um, afraid of that. What if I, you know, if I train somebody, then what happens if they leave? That's a risk you take. As Donnie said, we're growing future shop owners. But you are never going to get to that next level if you do things like Chris said. If you stay with that status quo, we do it the same way we've always done. Um, you are basically, um, Jeremy O'Neill and I had a conversation that roughly 20% of your business you lose out the back door every year to baby boomer attrition. Due to Jim lost his, you know, license. He's 86. He's got cataracts. He's got dementia. We're, we're snowbirds. We live in Florida. We, you know, we had three cars. Now we Uber. You lose almost 20% a year doing that. You have to have some new and reinventive way because baby boomers are the largest demographic of the population in the United States right now. The second largest demographic is, is millennials. And millennials do business in a different way. They don't say, hey, dad, where should I take my water pump? Where did you and grandpa and uncle George get your car fixed? They do water pump near me. And I just got done doing a technology class out on the East Coast for G. And um, we were talking about that. One of the questions I asked is how many people have a website? How many people have a web presence? And back in the day, everybody used the Donnelly directory pages, right? And if you were a guy like me and you had a shop, I never had a brick and mortar, but if I did, it was Ziegler Automotive, where do I fall out in the yellow pages at the end? The smart guys were like double A plus automotive that were at the top. A Google search basically does the same thing, right? That's where you fall out. Do you have a web presence? Do you pay somebody to sort that out on where you come up and where you show up at that? So the way we do business, and I'm by no 
means a brick and mortar shop owner, but I deal with them every day. Many people have dug heels in and like, hey, I'm just looking, and I've heard this for 10 years from shop owners, I'm just looking for somebody to come in and write that big check, and then I'm going to be on a beach somewhere. And the check doesn't come in, the neighborhood goes down, they didn't adapt, they didn't train, they didn't tool up to do things or specialize and their retirement is done to that, and then they are the guy who is the 80-year-old guy in my class who's really smart, who's still working on cars, or they can't detach their management skill and be like, hey, I gotta be the smartest guy in the room, I gotta talk to every customer, I gotta take every phone call, I gotta order every part, I gotta fix every tough car. That is a you know a management skill of the past. The other side of it, and I've worked for people like that that were very talented people that way, but had a phone in their ear and had you know stents put in their heart by the time they were 55, um, just due to the stress level. The other management strategy is kind of like the Bill Gates, the uh, Steve Jobs. Surround yourself with brilliant people. Give them the tools they need to do their job, and have a nurturing environment that you can grow talent. But you always run the risk. If you don't take care of those people, that somebody may, you know, siphon those people off. That's what we have the problem with Votech or whatever. With um, the episode you did with uh, Peter Rudolph and John Bridgewater about do shop supply tools or do tech supply tools um, was an inventive thing. I'd never even kind of thought of that concept. But there are, you know, it's not always going to be like how much you're getting a flat rate an hour, how much you're making an hour. Maybe it's on the back end that you retain these people, that you have training benefits, that you have flex time, flexible hours. They're single parents. Maybe if they need to go pick up their kid, it's not, you know, the end of the world that if you have to do that or you have a court date that you can go do it and you're not going to lose your job. Maybe you get flexible vacation time, things of that nature. Can we have an amen for Eric? <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to add to that a little bit. I'd, I'd like to challenge everybody in this room. Um, we have to raise the, the wage that we're paying technicians today. We can't continue to pay somebody $30,000 a year for them to buy $50,000 worth of tools and devote 80, 80 years of train or 80 hours a year of training. I mean, it just, it's nuts. Preach it. I sit up here every year, and I say, we say the same thing, and Keith is, is echoing that. You've got to change the way you do business so that you can afford to keep the talent. Uh, you can't expect uh, an ATIS vehicle today has three times as many lines of code on board as an F-35, the most sophisticated aircraft on the planet. F-35 carries about 35 million lines of code on board. An A8 carries well over 100 million lines of code on board. And that's going to trickle down quickly into the common everyday vehicle. And how do you expect to pay 30000 or 40000 or even $80,000 a year and expect to have the talent on board in your building to, to diagnose and service those vehicles? So what you need to start thinking about is elevating the talent that you have in your building as the stars of your business. You invest more in diagnostics and high technology than you do any, any other service that you provide, by far. But you make no profit on it. 90% of you, your lowest profit margin is on your diagnostic uh, uh, entry into your journal. So you need to think about how do I number one, charge appropriately so that I can pay appropriately. But more importantly, why don't you elevate your 
your team. One of the best uh, shops I ever walked into was a dealership in, in Southern California. Uh, it's been many years ago. And above every bay, there was about a, a four by eight poster of the technician that the customer could see from the waiting area with their picture on it and their bio and their credentials. They treated their technicians as the star athletes uh, that they really are. Uh, those, that's the talent in the building. You guys are there to support that talent and to put them to work and to keep them busy and to keep them productive on a daily basis. And it's guys like Eric and the people that we train and, and, and try to help grow that you need to, to leverage to grow your business. And getting them to that point is a whole nother. That's such a great point. Uh, I look at a lot of websites when I'm preparing to interview, and I am moved by the great bios that are created for technicians. And they're just not name, rank, and serial number. They get into their life and their, and their loves. And uh, it's a great point, Chris. Thank you. I've got to go back to something Eric said when you said the seed, and you also said something, something about high school. And you said something about the failure rate at college. So in August of last year, I decided I better put my money where my mouth was, and I joined the Bowtech College in our county's advisory board. I have learned so much about that post-secondary education that I'm shuddering about the failure rate. I'm shuddering about the CapEx money that's available to buy new equipment. Anybody out here belong to any secondary or post-secondary college? I see one, two, three, four. Excellent. I am so happy and so proud. My challenge to the rest of you is to knock on a door, make a phone call, create a very simple resume, and get involved. Now, when I got involved, there was one other independent. I call myself an independent because my whole life was served in that independent side. But the dealers are there, and they're taken. If there's eight graduates at the end of the year, you'll never see them. They're going to go to the people that are paying attention and that are attending career fairs. And the job that, uh, of this advisory panel, which was really recently rekindled at this college, was to help guide the issues and the problems they have. So we are digging into, so what's wrong? And, and I have to say that if we're, and we all know this, think about tech force and the things that Donnie's doing with NASDAQ and the passion. We cover this an awful lot on, on the podcast and we will continue to cover it because it is an issue that we all need to be committed and involved too. I'd like to just add one thing too. If you remember, um, a lot of you out here, when we were younger, we used to have like our parents come to elementary and even middle school to kind of tell us what their, you know, mom or dad did for a living. And so the generations that we are, you know, planting that seed in now, we're planting it at a later age. We're not planting it to, at these kids that are in elementary or middle school when they're, they should be thinking about what they want to be. That's kind of our, I think our, our fault. You know, we've let that kind of lapse. And I think if we go back to the elementary and the middle school and they kind of see what we are providing and, and every, all the technology that we actually do have to learn in our industry, we might be able to build that up a little bit better and have a better rate when we get to high school and college. A couple of points I might add to that, that I think that on the, by getting involved in the high school, the VOTAC, the community college level, they need to have a paradigm shift, a breath of fresh air, 
uh, into their uh, educational curriculum. We teach kids two semesters, a full year, uh, excuse my voice, on the four-stroke uh, internal engine cycle and piston piston ring groove staggering and how to, you know, uh, put a three-cut phase on a valve job and do machine operations and things like that, that in 35 years of being a technician, I've never used those operations to repair a vehicle. What is not taught in our schools, what is not taught in our Votech schools, is the ability to use logical processes to have critical thinking to be able to work on, every day I work on something that I know absolutely nothing about or extremely little, but the thing I have to do is I have to get the job done. So I have to have good use of sources, I have to know where to access this information, and I have to have the wherewithal to be able to come out of my comfort zone and say, hey, this is something new I need to learn. Um, one of the other points that, to Summer's point, you know, go to your kid's school and um, talk to them about what you do on career day or whatever. Part of the thing that we have is the stigma that we have carried with us if you're of a certain generation, that you're either a criminal, a drug addict, a less than intelligent individual, um, somebody who came from the wrong side of the tracks that end up um, being the, in this career because you had no other option. If you were a talented high school kid, I would challenge most of you, if you went and said to a high school guidance counselor, I don't think I really wanna exit college $150,000 in debt, school's not my bag, I think I wanna work on cars, you would be laughed out of the guidance counselor office. That is a huge problem. We have a huge stigma in our industry. Even uh, I went to a, a Marianne, Croce class when I was at ATRA and she brought up the commercial that was a sleep aid commercial where the guy can't sleep and it has nothing to do with auto mechanics but the guy wipes his hands off on the drapes or whatever when he comes out from a creeper from underneath the car. So we have that story of our people, I've expounded on it many times, that is not told. Um, they're phenomenal people in this industry that are hardworking, salt-of-the-earth people, but we have to be able to make that image known that it's a viable industry, it's an honest trade that's worked by hardworking people such as yourselves. Thanks, Eric. Chris, question for Chris. Do you see clear career and education paths, since we're talking about that, as part of training programs of the future? Well, we have to. Uh, there's no choice. Uh, so uh, in the past, we've, uh, again, they go through high school. They may go through a couple of hours uh, a day or an hour a day in high school for a, a year or two, and they decide, oh, I want to be an auto mechanic. So they go to Botech, they go to UTI, or they go to Rappo Community College or something like that in Denver or Longview here and, and, and go through a program with Rory. And Rory does a great job. He's one of our, our trainers and, and, and has a great passion for his kids. Uh, but is that enough? Uh, I think one of the problems that we have is we have a standards for education that are built or were built uh, many years ago based on the technology at that time. And, and today we don't have those standards uh, categorized in a way that allows the, the student or more importantly, you vo vocational instructors, and I saw your hands go up, and I want to let the rest of the room know, the hardest job in this, in this business is what you guys do. And you should be applauded for the efforts that you, that you make and, and work for the, the, 
uh, salary that you work for because nobody else will take that job. And what I'm about to say is that, that we need to help you and we need to help restructure education so that you can do your job well and not have to be burdened with paperwork and, and uh, minutia that does nothing for the student uh, except slow down their learning path. So first of all, uh, give a hand to the guys that are doing the work in the schools because they're growing our kids every day. So, so I said we have to get involved, and that means uh, that you need to start with becoming an advisory council member and helping them make sure that they're teaching the right things. The second thing is, uh, as, as a student gets into your shop and becomes a, a valued member of your, of your business, don't just welcome them in and put them on the LUBRAC or expect them to do a, a, a multi-point inspection correctly because they can't. Have you ever stood a young technician in a bay with a, a seasoned technician in the same bay looking at the same car and ever gotten the same result? And the reason it's a seasoned technician is going to get a different result is because he's been there before. He's, he knows what to look for. His eyes are quicker. He has the experience, and yet we're, we're expecting kids to go into a lube bay and come and create work for us with a multi-point inspection or even a courtesy inspection. So you have to, number one, you have to have a plan in place to grow those technicians from the time you get them there. So when they get to your shop, don't say, okay, Eric, your bay's over there. Put your toolbox over there. Joe over here will give you a ticket. Good luck. Eric's mobile, his toolbox is his car. See, Much more than 5% five, 5 duty cycle on a mobile guy's car. It's more like 50. He, we live in them. He has bigger wheels on his toolbox. So This is, this is true. <laughs> So don't just say good luck. Uh, and here's where the fallout comes from. Today's kids that enter the industry uh, in their first two years have a defection rate of over 65%. Think about that. Kids that put their, their dream on the line, going to school, wanting to be in our industry, and in two years, 65% of them found something else to do. Is that what we want? That's the brain drain, I call it, that gets siphoned off by the heating and air conditioning industry, by the electrician's union, by anybody else. Why do they go to that? They make more money, they get better benefits, and they don't have to buy hundreds of thousands of dollars for the tools. It's a tough career. I always say that my training or whatever, my wife's a big Survivor fan, that congratulations to all of you because you have all outplayed, outwitted, outlasted. If you were still in this career 30 years later, believe it, I wanted to run for the door back in the late 90s. I went back to school. I made some lifestyle changes. I d directly changed my life. And the reason I'm a trainer today was because I went to my very first automotive seminars, John Thornton class. It was life-changing, career-altering kind of thing for me. And then I went to Lender Tech, met so many wonderful people, and I went to Vision. And I came, I, I literally met some of the best people I've ever met in my life, lifelong friends I've met here. But that's, that's what's changed in it. We have to engage young people. We have to be able to take care of them on not only the, the pay, and we, like he said, we need to change the way we do that. Part of the way we need to change that, if we're going to pay techs more money, we have to get more money in the front door. We've got to stop giving away stuff for nothing. The 1495 oil change is the devaluing of our services, is the ruination of all of us. It is the race for the bottom. 
and let the bottom feeders do the bottom feeder work is what my my theory is. Amen. I, yep. Yep. Absolutely have to. One one thing I'd like to add to that is we can all go out. We don't have to necessarily be involved at the college level. I mean, that's good. We can all go give time to our local high schools. Let's start let's start approaching these kids when they are the age that they're thinking about what they're going to do and that this is this is a valuable career. This is something you can make six figures in. You know, if if you don't think a technician deserves to make six figures today, you better think again because it's here. And Keith, I would even back you up a little bit more. You have never had more fun than going into a middle school and showing them what we do. Exactly. It is absolutely a hoot. And they're all over it. And them kids are just in awe. You take, you take a lab scope in there. I mean, I'm speaking your language now. But you take a lab scope into middle school, and you just show these kids, and they're like, wow. You know, they're all about it. Their eyes are just, I mean, they're just glued to you. We are their role models, and we are the leaders. And we have to also remember that the guys that are in our shop are the ones that we are mentoring um, the most too. So this is very important that we bring up the ones that are not in our shop, but it's very important that we are the cheerleaders for the ones that are in our shop because they're the ones that might take your business over later and they want to be like you. And they're the ones that we should be super proud of. Exactly. Awesome. So the, the key here is to get involved and, and put a plan together and a lot of good thoughts up here. So I want to share with you some of the things that, that are going on in the industry with respect to career pathing because it, you need to get involved. Uh, so the National Automotive Service Task Force, Donnie's our executive officer. I, I happen to be privileged to sit on the board. and uh, But our education team, led by Jill Saunders from Toyota and Rob Morell from WorldPAC Training Institute, uh, are working on creating a framework of education uh, for the future. Uh, and the future is tomorrow. We're working very hard on, on creating a framework that allows Eric and myself and all the other training providers to hang their curriculum, a lot of which we teach once and done, or, or we have old curriculum that's still good because we walk into the classroom and we've got 30, 40, 50 guys in the classroom sometimes, and we'll have 30 or 40 or 50 different skill levels. And so we end up migrating towards kind of that that top of the bell curve with respect to the class, and the top guys might get left out or think they were not getting anything for their money, and the, the young guys are glazed over with deer in the headlight look, and they're not quite getting anything out of it. We have to put a, a, a curriculum path and, and a plan together so that educators can create career paths or certifications so that you can give hope and direction to the young kids that come into your business. You see, they come into your business with a dream. And the first thing you do when you just say, put your toolbox over there, Eric, and, and there's where you get a ticket and good luck, is you kind of confuse them. Because in the first two years, they're going to be doing jobs that really aren't like what it was in school. They're going to say, wow, this isn't quite like what Rory showed me at school. It's a little bit different context. And then you're going to be in the business for five or ten years. And, and how many technicians in a room that are five or ten years more experience or more experience? Raise your hands. There got to be some five. Okay. How many of you have ever had this thought in the last six months? Is this it? Is this all there is? There's got to be more. 
And, and the reason you have that thought is when you were onboarded in the business, in the shop that you were at, there were no expectations set for you. There was no career path for you. So shop owners, you need to create those expectations and build that career path with the goal of them eventually leaving you. You should not want to, to encourage somebody to come to work for you to be a technician, and that's all you're going to be. Eric, you're going to be a technician. You're never going to be any more than a technician. You're going to spend your entire life here. Your back is going to hurt when you're about 45 or 50. You're going to retire with nothing because you're only going to be a technician. I want my technicians to grow and leave, and I'll help invest in their ability to buy another shop and grow their business or partner with me. The, the one person in this industry that does a tremendous job of doing that is Dwayne Myers with Dynamic Automotive on the East Coast. Uh, he's not here, but he's done that exactly. He sees talent in his business, and he fosters that talent through education and growth, and then he partners with them to open another store, and it's working phenomenal for That's him. That's a brilliant idea. I've interviewed Dwayne, and just go to the website, Dwayne Myers, uh, his most recent episode within six months talked all about that. I am enamored. I was going to go down and go into the audience, but I couldn't let you stop. <laughs> wow. We'll give you some applause later, but thank you. Can, can I go down and get a question? Uh, we only have about five minutes left. We have a hard stop in five minutes. Go get them, Hopefully Phil. we don't. Oh, yeah. Phil Donahue. Phil Donahue. It's Vinny, right? Millennials don't know yeah. who Phil Donahue Google is. Google Phil Donahue. Uh, first off, thank you, Carm. Uh, thank you for doing the holistic approach that you do. And thank you, panel. My question comes more of how do we develop or how do we talk with our cities in order or our school districts to get these new programs into the schools? Because, yes, we can go talk to the students, but if they don't have an avenue to take, where are they going to go? You know, we do an educational program. We do high school internships. Our school we went to doesn't have high school internships anymore. In fact, all the trades are taken out of the schools. So how do we get the schools and the cities themselves to implement these programs on a large scale? Just go to the school. Talk to the school administrators. Get in with the auto shop teacher there if they have one. If they don't have one, just suggest the counselors there. You know, we've got a program here where you can send students down to the school or to our shop. Give, give them some time. You know, Help work with them. That's what they're wanting. That's... In, I'm sorry, in my city, Wheat Ridge, Colorado, we have a program, um, a STEM program there that is completely community funded. The county puts no money into it, has no interest in it. They won the Shell Eco Marathon two of the three years that they've been in existence. Um, these kids do so many amazing things, and it's all community funded. There was a teacher who wanted to lead it. He did a fantastic job getting it started. He started out with 16 kids. He's now got over 70. They're coming from all over our county, which is a huge county, to be at this school. So it doesn't have to be school-funded. I mean, the schools are struggling to make the Absolutely. ends meet. So figure it out on your own. That's my advice. So also, I just had a, a little flash thought as he was saying that, about I was just getting ready to say when I stepped on his words there, that what if you don't put it in the hands of the schools? We have budgetary, nobody wants to put money into education, we have tax referendums that constantly get voted down, the politics of all that does that. 
what if, what about growing it in-house yourself? Maybe you have a Saturday clinic where you offer free inspections for cars. Bring your kids like the same way you may have a playroom for kids in the waiting room of your shop to be able to have single parents come and do your thing. Maybe you have that same program where you get some kind of draw where you bring it in and you have some kind of show and tell with young fifth graders, sixth graders, whatever. You show them how uh, what a viable career we have. Hey, so good. Um, couple of pointers. Donnie brought me the Wheat Ridge High School STEM, uh, team that was at Apex this year. If you go to the website and type in STEM, you'll hear an interview. I think there was eight of us in the studio, Donnie, and they talked about how engaged they are in automotive and in winning the Shell Eco Challenge. It is an if you want to know where our youth is and how to get involved in high school, listen to that episode. Carm, I, I want to add to that. I was privileged about four weeks ago to spend a day at Wheat Ridge High School with the STEM team. I was so enamored with what they said in Vegas at CARS. That was absolutely, without a doubt, the best day I've had in my life in the last 20 years. It gave me hope. It gave me uh, validation of some of the things that we've been trying to do. Uh, and that team that led me through the tour of their school was the students. The freshmen in that school, the first class they go to or that they get involved in is learning Autodesk, Inventor Autodesk. It's 3D CAD. They're designing next year's car. These are little tiny freshman kids that are sitting at a desk in a hot classroom with 30 workstations. They're designing in 3D CAD. And, and they're building, they're running three, they're running CNC five axis CNC machines. And, and they have passion. But when they were asked, and I don't remember who asked the question at, at CARS, but they were asked at the end of their, their uh, presentation at CARS, how many of you know what you're going to do and know what your career is going to be moving forward after high school? And they all raised their hands. And then they were asked, how many of you are going into the automotive service industry? And nobody raised their hands. So they asked, well, Why? And the young girl that is now the spokesperson for the group who used to be a little wallflower as a freshman said, well, quite frankly, it's probably because nobody from your industry has ever come and shared the opportunities that are available wow. to us. And all the shop owners looked at each other and went, really? It's us. Yeah. You have to get involved. We have to get involved. I have to say this. I, I interviewed a gentleman from Virginia Beach, Patrick McHugh. And yes, he has women's clinics, but he also has high school STEM seminars. He recruits a customer to go out and get four or five high school students and brings them into the shop. He extends his whole idea of marketing to new people, and he walks them through the technology that exists in cars today. So if that's gr grassroots, that's grassroots. Uh, these always go beyond expectations. Thank you so much, Eric Ziegler, Chris Chesney, Donnie Cypher, Keith Williamson, and Summer Guerrero. Appreciate Thank you all. I'm glad you were here. Enjoy the rest of the day. Hey, there you go. Did you hear the passion in every word? Wow, the panel really brought their A-game and relished in sharing with you what needs to be done to continue to be a viable shop owner, technician, and industry. Lots of work to do as business models will change, technology will push the boundaries on training and repair, and the challenge of growing great technicians and building strong customer relationships becomes more important than ever. 
Many answers you seek on the future, we're here in this episode. Share this and help all ships rise. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time, 